This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be exciting or unexpected. Unexpected is for podcasts about bizarre scientific revelations, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hey, it's the third automatic soap dispenser you try, the one that finally recognizes that your hands are real and exist. Allie Ward, back with another episode of Ologies. We talk about one ology per episode. This time, though, we're going to talk about one ology for two episodes. It was that good of an interview. So we're tucking our pants into our boots. We're heading out into the wilderness for serene and majestic perplexing, vexing, horned, horny, antlered, and fanged two-part episode of Ologies with not one, but two dear scientists to fawn over. But before we dash into it, a few hey thanks dudes to patrons at patreon.com slash ologies, which is a not secret club. You can easily join for a buck a month and submit questions for upcoming episodes. Uh, Thanks to everyone who's marching around in ologies merch from ologiesmerch.com. I hope you find each other meet some new friends. Thank you for making sure you're subscribed and for rating and reviewing the show, which keeps it up in the charts for other people to find. And if you've listened to an episode, you know, I pick a fresh review, like a review fairy to read. And this one this week is from the Mallory 9000 who says, Dear Daddy Ward, that's me. I work on an organic farm and it's super tough work, but listening to ologies has gotten me through radish season and into squash season. Keep rocking on, star girl, the Mallory 9000. I sure as heck will. Let's start with servidology. Okay, so it comes from a proto-Indo-European word, cur, meaning horns. So if you were like, is servidology about my cervix? Well, yes and no, because cervix means neck too, and it comes from the same root. So yes, antlers, all tangled up in that business from an etymology standpoint. But moving on. So I have been looking for a good servidologist just for years, and I kept striking out on like retired game wardens and professors who did not answer their emails until one day, a few months ago, I stumbled on a dear expert with a beautiful name, Rhiannon, and I followed her on Twitter immediately. And then I realized a few days later that I wasn't following her. And then I realized that that was a different Rhiannon who is also a servidologist. And I was like, "How? what? Like, is this a wrinkle in the simulation? Is this a hole in the fabric of space-time? Is someone catfishing me? 
Are they even real people? And if so, do they know each other? And the only way to find out, really, is just getting all of us on a triple chat line. So one Rhiannon got her bachelor's in zoology from the University of Manchester in England. You will recognize her by her accent. And is now at the University of Western studying what kind of white-tailed deer are where. And you also heard a clip of her on the Black AF and STEM episode in June. And she's a co-organizer of the upcoming Black Mammologist Week that kicks off September 13th. And we're going to hear more about that in another episode as it approaches. But you can learn more for now at blackmammologists.com. Mark your calendars, September 13th. Now, the other Rhiannon studies mule deer and got her bachelor's in wildlife and fisheries biology and management from University of Wyoming, where she's now a grad student. She's getting her master's. She's studying zoology and environment and natural resources. Has she created a board game about mule deer? She has. So, my dears, buckle up for a part one of a truly, truly wild ride. We recorded for two and a half hours. This had to be a two-parter. It is just a journey through the woods of knowledge about everything from Bambi to elk love songs and hoof fights and antler velvet and the Second Amendment underestimated backyard critters, piecing out for no reason, what to do if you find a fawn, talking with butt languages, and how not to hit a deer with your car with the absolutely charming, whip-smart, and delightful human entities who are both real people named Rhiannon and our servidologists, Rhiannon Curtin and Rhiannon Jacobak. Does anyone have any ACs or fans or anything like any Beyonce fans happening right now blowing right on you? Um, let me go have a look. That was Rhiannon Curtin, and you will recognize her from her delightful, faintly non-American accent. And where are you exactly? I'm in Ontario in Canada, okay. but it gets very hot here. It was like 40 degrees last week. And when you say 40, you mean Celsius, correct? Yes, I think that's like a hundred for you guys. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a something lot. And where are you originally from? Uh, um. <laughs> You're like a long story. So, I grew up between Australia and the UK mm-hmm. before I came here. Ah. And the other Rhiannon? Uh, my name is Rhiannon Jacobak, and I am currently in Wyoming, but I'm from South Dakota originally, but I've been in in Wyoming for many years now. When did you both learn about the other one? A while ago, I feel like. Yeah, just like in the Twitter. Yeah. In the Twitter sphere, somehow, some like we got connected in some way. And it was like, oh, look, there's another Rhiannon who also studies deer. How cool. (laughs) Yeah. I think this Rhiannon was the first other Rhiannon that I knew. I have a twin sister, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And now I know a couple of other Rhiannons on Twitter as well. We will take over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nation of Rhiannons. <laughs> I, I have to say, you're both the first Rhiannons I've ever met. <laughs> like, ever. And I thought, like, that's such a rare name. I've never heard it before. 
<laughs> and I Googled it and y'all, I did not realize it was a Fleetwood Mac song <laughs> until today. <laughs> I heard that song for literally decades. I never, I just thought they were just going like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize they were saying a word or a name. Um, were you both named after the Fleetwood Mac song? This is American-accented servidologist Rhiannon Jacobak. Yeah, I was. And also, I have that similar experience. So I worked in a grocery store when I was in high school, and they always had, like, background music on. Uh-huh. And there was always this one song that was playing, and I'd, like, kind of hum along, but I never really pay attention to it. And then one day, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're saying Rhiannon. <laughs> For years, I listened to that song. So, yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, I was named after that song. And I really love that so many people, as soon as I say my name, start to sing that song to me. <laughs> I cannot say I've had that experience. I was not named after the song my mom is kind of a hippie when i was a kid mm-hmm. and we lived probably about two hours away from wales and rhiannon who the song is about mm-hmm. is a character in welsh mythology <gasps> so my mom actually named me after like the mythological rhiannon um i guess stevie nicks also heard about rhiannon okay Quick aside, I went down a long, witchy, trippy rabbit hole researching why Stevie Nicks chose to softly wail this name in one of her biggest hits. And apparently, in 1974, she was at a party, and she flipped to a random page in a book, describing it as, quote, just a stupid little paperback that I found lying on the couch. And it was called Triad, written by Mary Leader, who probably did not appreciate Stevie Nicks' description of it. But Stevie Nicks explained that it was all about this girl who becomes possessed by a spirit named Rhiannon. So she was like, man, I gotta write a spooky-ass song about a lady from another realm who digs birds and is named Rhiannon and then launched my career, I guess. She didn't even know at the time that Rhiannon was a Welsh bird-loving goddess. How's that for a coinkydink? Nor did she know that two dear scientists named Rhiannon would be talking about this decades later. Also, did you know that when you flip to a random page in a book and then you let it determine your future, that's called bibliomancy. It's fancy. Okay, let's continue. But now I do that to people and they're like, what's your name? And I'm like, Rhiannon. And they're like, what? And I'm like, Rhiannon, like the Fleetwood Mac song. And they're like, oh, I've never heard that song. And I'm like, what? (laughs) We all, I think we all have heard it, but we don't realize what the song is. Like I never, I honestly had no idea. I feel so much better, Rhiannon, knowing that you didn't know it, it was your name. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That makes you feel, so you were both kind of named after the same Rhiannon, like once removed, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Oh my God. Amazing. Okay. And now you're both biologists. You're both servidologists. Is that a word that you have heard before? It's not a term that I have used, although I was really hoping that (laughs) that's what you would say. Um, (laughs) I guess I have tried to be a broad mammologist. So um, I'm interested in in mammals generally, and right now I'm I'm working on deer in particular. I'm gonna go with 
No, as well. <laughs> but I've always had an interest in large mammals, and I was actually telling the other Rhiannon this the other day that, you know, I like deer because deer are food for other things. Um, <laughs> and I've always had an interest in like large carnivores, but I did actually write my second year dissertation at university about the role of large ungulates in biogeochemical cycling. Ah, and you are going to have to tell me what biocycling is. <laughs> no, um, no idea. Biogeochemical cycling is just things like the nitrogen cycle or like the carbon cycle. And it's the way that elements get cycled like through the environment. So like deer contribute to various biogeochemical cycles through um, excrement and through decomposition of their bodies when they die. Okay, so that's just, we all go back into the soup. It's just <laughs> back into earth soup. <laughs> that's a comforting way to think of dying. Let's ask Wyoming Rhiannon Jay about her mammalian history. You've worked with a lot of mammals, right? So how did you end up kind of in the deer world? That's a good question. Uh, so I... <laughs> I think a lot of biology is like you just kind of know the right people and like thankfully just make good connections and then fall into a really great project. So she ended up being introduced to her now advisor, Dr. Kevin Monteith, kind of serendipitously as if by the bescarfed hand of Stevie Nicks herself. And I met him because he was one of my professors and then I worked for him and then it just kind of spiraled from there. But uh, I work in an area called the the Wyoming Range and the Salt River Range. And I just think that they are the most phenomenal, beautiful places in the entire world. <laughs> and I just want to be here forever and explore them for forever. And this project popped up where I got to work with deer who are the, it's, it's just the species that so many people care about and they have a really crucial role in the ecosystem um, and with other animals. And I was like, yes, please sign me up. I want to do all of this. And now, are, were you both outdoors kids? Are you both drawn toward biological sciences because of the setting or because of the problem solving or because of behavior? What kind of drew you to get involved in science? Rhiannon K answers. Now remember, you can tell she has the accent. Yeah, I grew up pretty rurally. Um, I lived in Somerset when I lived in England, which is in the southwest. It's farming country. It's full of cows and orchards. Um, Cheddar Gorge, where cheddar cheese comes from, was like really close <laughs> to my house. <sighs> and uh, <laughs> I lived right by Glastonbury Festival. It was great. And then I lived in Australia and um, I lived in Northern Rivers, New South Wales, which is on the eastern coast near Byron Bay. And it's fairly biodiverse there. And of course, Steve Irwin was like huge when I was a kid. Oh, crikey. So mm -hmm. I guess it was a combination of things. My mum tells me that my first word was tiger. <laughs> so I guess I was destined to be a biologist of some sort. Um, but it really was wolves that drew me to this line of work. I originally wanted to be a vet, um, <gasps> but then I decided that I could see more animals if I was a zoologist. So Rhiannon Kay was particularly fond of wolves. And just how you know what your crush's like, favorite burrito is, she was like, oh, man, wolves 
love a bloody deer carcass. So I'm kind of into deer. And so you like to study deer because they are are so crucial as food to (laughs) carnivores, which is totally understandable. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) um, it's actually kind of funny, like, both of us are studying deer movement and deer spatial ecology. I was really interested in studying deer movement, mostly like to gain skills in spatial ecology because animal movement and like migration and corridors and stuff is also vital to the way that we manage large mammals. And it popped up on my Twitter feed and I applied at the last minute. And you did. <laughs> you got a job from Twitter? That's I, amazing. <laughs> I did. And I've also been lucky enough to go out and do field work with people from Twitter. Um, my friend Rebecca, I went and helped her in Montana. She's a wildlife biologist. And my friend David, I went and caught Tasmanian devils with him. So Twitter's actually been pretty lucky for me. Oh, what's that? You'd like to know more about Tasmanian devils? Well, may I suggest last week's episode with M. Dale, who has a laugh as infectious, but way less tragic than Tasmanian devil facial tumors. Also, speaking of the beauty of the outdoors, is that what drew Ran and Jay to science? I don't think I really started being interested in the outdoors. Uh, so when I was a kid, I mean, I, we lived uh, out in the country and I... Like, I remember climbing trees and eating leaves. I don't, like, (laughs) I don't know why I was doing that. Um, And I also, in third grade, gave a show-and-tell presentation where I just read facts about wolves. So I guess I really liked wildlife and outside. (laughs) But then, I don't know, like, in high school, I just totally, I I don't know. Like, I just fell out of science. I felt like I was not really good at science. Um, and nobody in my family really is like active outdoors, like camping, hiking, that sort of thing. I went to college and I originally had tried to be in science and then I didn't do super well. Uh, it turns out that you need to go to class and I Mm. guess I didn't, (laughs) Mm. uh, (laughs) strange. Um, so anyway, I switched my major and a few years into college, a few friends took me on a hike and like I was 20 or 21 and I was going on my first hike ever and I was just like oh my god this is so cool there's like grass and birds and we saw a moose and it was just like (laughs) super cool and then I quickly realized that you could get paid to work outside and was like okay I want to do that and so then I realized that I could do science and there was a lot of back and forth with myself there like there were a few times where I almost dropped out of undergrad uh because I didn't think I was I was smart enough to be in science. Uh, I think part of it is that uh, I'm from a first-generation low-income background, and I was working full-time while going to school to support myself through school. So I was, like, Mm. getting off work at, like, 6 in the morning and then had class at 8, and so I was really tired. And anyway, so there's a lot of factors there. But I I eventually, like, convinced myself that I was good enough to, you know, make it through. But then I had one class. It It was mammology, and... I went from like kind of thinking of school as this thing that I felt like maybe I had to do to like, no, I don't want to hang out with anyone. All I want to do is read papers about mammalogy. Like, no, I don't want to go party on a Saturday night. I'm going to like memorize 
uh, rodent species. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) So I don't like, I didn't, I don't feel like I had this, you know, like huge exposure to science and actually like had tried to convince myself pretty frequently throughout my life that I wasn't good enough for science, but then I just loved it so much once I like finally found that little specific field. And then I had some really great professors and mentors who just were like, yes, you can do this. And then they pushed me along and now here I am. And I still love wildlife and the outdoors and all of that. Oh, that's amazing. Those kind of stories are so important to hear because I think so many people when they struggle uh, with anything, whether it's something academic or whatever their dream is, like to not hear people's struggles can can be really isolating. And that, that's so helpful. And I'm so glad that you stuck it out because now you're a cervidologist. If you were <laughs> if you were studying the thing, I you're that makes you an ologist of it. So you're both cervidologists. Yes. <laughs> so says I. Such a stupid question, but I have two cervidologist so I can ask, what exactly is a deer? What is a deer versus an elk versus an antelope? What's the deal with horns versus antlers? Just like if I were an alien that landed on Earth and it was like, what is this big dog? Can you explain it to me? Deer are cervids and hooved animals are ungulates. So cervids are a smaller group within the big group that is ungulates. So like antelope are ungulates, but they're not cervids. Ooh, okay. So remember, all cacti are succulents, but not all succulents are cacti. Now other ungulates include zebras and horses and rhinos and donkeys and giraffes and warthogs and okapis and also bovids like cows and bison. So hooves, you got yourself an ungulate. But which of those ungulates are cervids? AKA deers and such. Now, Riata J is just chomping at her bit to tell us. And the answer is so odd. I can't even. That's going to make sense in a sec. Yeah. Uh, when you asked that question, I was like pumping my arms. I was so excited. I was like, Riata, no, stop moving. It's going to pick up the sound. <laughs> um, yeah. So like Rhiannon just said, there's um, like this broad umbrella of ungulates. And so that will be split into two orders, so perissodactyla and artiodactyla. Uh, perissodactyla is your odd-toed ungulates, so things like horses, tapirs, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then artiodactyla is your even-toed ungulates, so things like deer, all the different species of deer, sheep, cows, that sort of thing. And so then within artiodactyla, there's the, mm-hmm. the family cervidae is within Artiodactyla. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that includes things like mule deer, which I study, white tailed deer, which other Rhiannon studies, elk, <laughs> moose, caribou, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. then cervids have antlers, and antlers fall off and they will be regrown. And then bovids, which are things like sheep, cows, goats. Those have horns, and those horns don't fall off each year, so they just grow throughout their life. So a horn is like a record of an animal's life, whereas um, an antler like falls off and grows again each year. Okay, so odd-toed ungulates are the horses and the donkeys and the rhinos, and even-toed ungulates include bovids with keratin horns and cervids with antlers. P.S., those antlers are generated from something called velvet, 
which is a veiny, stretchy, slightly hairy skin that supplies blood and oxygen to the bone it's building underneath. And then when it's grown and good, the velvet just is like, bye-bye, and it kind of dries and the cervids slough it off, kind of like a crusty chicken skin, like bye-bye now. Also, as some bucks grow, they produce more pointed tips per year, kind of like tree rings you can count. Now, why do they waste all of that good calcium just to toss them every year? Well, apparently, one theory is that it makes does horny as hell just to see a dude deer flexing his extra nutrients in just such a wasteful way. Kind of like getting bottle service. Correct me if I'm wrong, other Rhiannon, but antlers are used for a sexual selection. I think I don't know if horns are used for sexual selection in the same way. They both are. Yeah, bighorn sheep males will just like ram their heads together like and use their big old horns to to fight with each other Mm -hmm. for access to females. So yeah, both of them will use their horns or their antlers for sexual selection. Yeah. And then one other weird fun thing is that so in North America, we have pronghorn. Do you guys know it? From yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, colloquially, they are called antelope. However, they are not antelope. They, they are aren't? They, no, they're what? not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they're in a different family. It's antelope copra. I don't think I'm saying that right. But That's also, okay. I like, sorry, I read a lot of these things and don't say a lot of these words. So it's Oh, that <laughs> happens to me all the time. Try having a podcast about it. Do you know how often I go on YouTube to be like, how is this pronounced? <laughs> like <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> okay, side note. I had all the faith in the world that she was pronouncing the genus of the pronghorn antelope just fine. But I double checked online and I found this. Antilocapra americana. Wait. Okay, there's also this. Antilocapra. And this. Antilocapra. So... Say it however you want, or just call it a pronghorn, not antelope. So those aren't horns, by the by. They're like bony blades permanently jutting from its skull, and then every year they grow a hair-like sheath over them. Now, if you live in North America, pronghorn antelope used to be so abundant here, and they served as fuel for indigenous plains tribes before the Europeans came. Heavy sigh. But now you know that they are not antelopes or cervids, but you don't know how to pronounce antelocopra. Neither do I. But if you ever just want to, I don't know, fun, pull that fun fact out of the party, which maybe I've done <laughs> once or twice, but <laughs> actually, <laughs> pronghorn aren't antelope. Their closest living relatives are, um, are giraffes and okapis. Whoa! Neat! <laughs> well, that actually brings up the question... How did deer get to North America and and where do deer live? Are they in in Europe or are they tend to be northern hemisphere animals? They are found on North America, uh, Europe, Asia, South America. And there's not a huge cervid diversity in Africa. Instead, it's it's bovid diversity there. So mm. all the antelopes are are bovid, so one of those other big groups in the ungulate group. Yeah. So when I was growing up in England, we had like roe deer. Fun fact, what they call red deer in the UK (laughs) is called an elk. 
in North America. And in Europe, what they call an elk is what we would call a moose in Canada. That's fucked up! (laughs) crazy. And, like, I was writing my dissertation on biogeochemical cycling. And I'm like, this says elk, and this one says red deer. But they have the same scientific name. And I was like, what is going on here? Um, But they're the same. (laughs) Oh, my... Is... Okay. And are they... Is the elk a deer? The deer is an elk? The no, no. Yes. Okay. Yes. So like they're moose just bigger. are just giant deer. Yeah. Fuck. Moose are giant deer? They are the biggest living deer species. Like the biggest living cervid. Yeah. Oh my God. This is blowing <laughs> my mind. I had, I figured that they didn't even talk to each other. You know, I just figured they didn't even know each other. Yes, so red deer in the UK are American elk, and their elk is our moose. And a moose is just a giant deer with a face shaped like a bread loaf. Also, I'm sorry I said the F word so much, but that was just very shocking information for me, and I got emotional. Now, I have so many questions left, but before we get to them, a few words from sponsors of the show who help get the bills paid and let us donate to a cause of the ologist's choosing. And this week, it was unanimous among Rhiannons. It's going to the sponsored membership fund through the American Society of Mammologists. And Rhiannon J says that membership with the ASM has been absolutely fundamental to her career development as a cervidologist. They say it's a great scientific organization. It's really student-focused and friendly. Lots of outstanding mammologists can trace their roots back to ASM somehow. And the sponsored membership fund in particular supports ASM membership for mammologists in developing countries. And they both say that they hope this donation will help make mammology a little more accessible to mammologists in other countries. So that was made possible by award-approved sponsors of the show who offer list discounts on their stuff, which I may tell you about now. This podcast and my life is brought to you by Squarespace. Do you know that I didn't have a website for forever because I was putting it off because I was scared? And then I heard another podcast talk about Squarespace. I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. I had a website up that day. They have beautiful templates. They host. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Look at me. Even I did it. You can sell products. You can sell your time. They have this guided design system. It's called Squarespace Blueprint. You can select from a layout. There are styling options. You can get your website discovered with these integrated, optimized SEO tools so people find you when they Google. They also have easy to use payment tools. So checkout, very easy for customers, which is what you want. There's also Squarespace AI, which can help you explain what your site is about. You can choose your tone. Whether you're a scientist who wants to share your work with the world, whether you are starting up a business selling tiny paintings of tiny books, or a choreographer selling dance classes, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I recommend it to all my friends even when I'm not recording an ad. Okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, 
therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you are not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And y'all know I have a little dog named Grammy, which is short for Gremlin. And y'all help me name her. And there's nothing that we like more than seeing her happy, which means tasty dog foods. And Merrick has been crafting high quality dog food for over 30 years. They were founded in Hereford, Texas, but Grammy doesn't care about that. She cares about smushing her face in it and then licking the bowl. And I don't blame her because they use real ingredients and homestyle recipes like real Texas beef and sweet potato or Grammy's pot pie. Grammy's like, Grammy's pot pie. Get away from it, it's mine. I also like that on the bag, they show what's in it. And they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. And I think Grammy appreciates that. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Okay, back to questions. Oh, okay. I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> okay. How do you both feel about internet videos of people um, feeding bananas to deer and carrots. Are you like, don't do it. Don't do it. Yep. Um, there have been heated discussions about those videos. Yes. Um, <laughs> especially in the Black AF and Sim chat. Um, don't mm-hmm. do it, Brother Nature. Stop. <sighs> Please. What's your name? 
Lola, come on, Lola, eat that. Like maybe well intentioned, but it's not good for the deer. Correct. Correct. Yes. Right. And feeding any wild animal is not advisable ever. Just don't do it. Don't do it. So if you have a deer squad in your backyard, don't give them carrots or bananas or Pringles or anything as fun as it would be. Now, wait, with the exception of Audrey Hepburn's pet fawn, Pippin, which she raised to strengthen a bond for a film and then later adopted, but then I think mysteriously gave away later because her dog was like, why is there a deer in the house? So why haven't humans ever tried to domesticate deer families? Kind of like having a small herd of Great Danes in the backyard. Sami, Sami culture in the Scandinavian countries has domesticated reindeer. And they've done that, oh. I think, for like multiple centuries. And so reindeer are a really integral part of their culture. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I have exhausted what I know with those like <laughs> two sentences. But I, I think it, that's a really cool historical example of, of people uh, domesticating deer. And there's also some pretty dire consequences given climate change and how reindeer might be responding to climate change and how that would affect the the Sami people. If you ever make it to Scotland and go to Aviemore, um, that's where I learned your snowboard, they actually have a reindeer center and they have a herd of reindeer and you can visit them. Man, I like. What is your passport like? Like, is your do you ha- do you have to add pages to it? I have two passports, <laughs> so that helps, I guess. But yeah, I guess I kind of travel. It's funny because I also come from like a first generation low income background, and my mom is like the single parent of twins. So we definitely didn't do like tons of traveling when we were little. I mean, we lived in Australia for a bit, but definitely since I've grown up, I like never stop moving. My nieces and nephew (laughs) apparently think that I'm like in Africa right now, which I'm not. So I was really lucky in that university opened the door for me to travel and working throughout my degree meant that I could save money to go traveling. So I was really lucky in that respect. I love how much both of you have such a connection to landscape and to nature and to being outdoors and how much that's kind of fueled the passion for your work. I think one thing too about deer that so many people, especially in North America, think about is like, it's one of these charismatic megafauna that we see you know, when we're driving down the freeway or maybe in our headlights oh dear. or uh, you see on a hillside. I mean, it's never boring, I feel like, when you see a deer out in the wild. And how are the populations doing in North America, especially with their relationship with carnivores? How are they doing these days? Too well? White-tailed deer, which are what I study, are actually the most widespread game species in North America. And across most of their range, they are actually overabundant. And in some places, because they're over their carrying capacity, they are damaging to the landscape. Mm. But the management of deer is a long and convoluted (laughs) political history. Um, Yeah, but there's lots of deer. There's too many deer in most places um and that's kind of a function of 
the North American model for wildlife conservation, which is like a whole other podcast to talk mm. about. Um, but <laughs> there's there's lots of them. They're not like going to disappear anytime soon. Um, and lots of people are actually trying to find ways to reduce the deer mm-hmm. numbers. So the North American model was set up as a way to allow those populations to rebound and to manage hunting sustainably. But of course that then also led to people wanting to manage predators so that the deer were not threatened or people Uh were not competing with predators. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there's like a very long and convoluted relationship between predator management and deer. I don't know why Bravo hasn't done a show on this. (laughs) So much drama. And with the deer populations maybe being slightly swollen, um, what does that mean for for game hunting now? Is that a good idea or does that just perpetuate the problem if they're reduced too much and then more carnivores are killed off? I was surprised to learn how many um, conservationists also hunt. I I didn't realize that 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 was a thing. Any thoughts on that? Or what is the general cervidologist's thought on on deer hunting in North America? Yeah, so white-tailed deer are very overabundant in a lot of their range, and mule deer uh, are below what people would want them to be at in a lot of their range. So there's these two kind of competing narratives there. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because these animals are like below the population objectives, these populations are still doing very well. Um, and so they're like the state wildlife agencies that manage hunting and licenses and that sort of thing uh, are very, very careful to figure out like, what are the population levels at now? And then they allocate licenses accordingly. Then when you purchase a license, then all of that money gets funneled back into the state wildlife agency so that they can continue to manage deer, but also manage non-game species of of all types. Mm. So the deer populations are lower than what they would have historically been, but also our landscape looks drastically different than what it would have been 100 or 200 years ago. Like there is less space for deer to be on. It makes sense that they're is going to be a a decline in their population size. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't work to make sure that we're not just like decimating their populations, but um, their populations are are sustainable and, and hunting as it's practiced right now is, is also sustainable. Hmm. And I, I was reading a study for um, a Lyme disease episode about, um, about deer and abundance that rates of deaths of deer were stable when they opened up hunting in parts of Connecticut because those deer would just get killed by like Volvos and Mercedes instead. Yeah. And yeah. So, what? <laughs> so that's, that's this idea of, of compensatory mortality versus agative mortality. So like there are just some animals that are going to die regardless. Mm-hmm. So if you hunt them, like you're not contributing to the population declining. But yeah, if you hunt over that, limit of that of that compensatory mortality then you start to you know potentially be contributing to a decline of the population but mule deer are not hunted to the point where you want to cause declines of them whereas white-tailed deer 
in many cases are. They're like, we need to get these populations mm-hmm. down. So part of the challenge now with managing white-tailed deer is that how do you reduce the numbers? People like to hunt white-tailed deer, but also white-tailed deer have impacts on native vegetation and plant nurseries and they cause vehicle collisions which Mm -hmm. are costly and with whitetails specifically people are looking at like how they can reduce those numbers more but also there's some amount of like hunters don't want to take more than they can use and people don't want to waste deer meat if they Mm -hmm. get extra deer so then like can you get people to hunt more deer but take the meat somewhere that it's needed um Mm. and i know there are some programs out there where they have people hunt extra deer and then they donate the meat to people who are in need that's great um so it's yeah it's definitely a conversation that goes on within seven (laughs) (laughs) but i I don't think there's a clear solution yet yeah hunting is one big part of management um but yeah there are tons of deer everywhere for white tails at least why do they have white butts it seems like you're just advertising your delicious rump if you have a big white circle on your butt what is the evolutionary advantage of that I think it's a predator deterrent, right, Rhiannon? It's like, really? hey, yeah, and like when they're running away, they can be, and they like <laughs> wag their tails and they're like, look at me, I'm so fit, you can't catch me. And then I think it's also a, a warning sign to other deer to be like, ah, I'm going, let's go. I'm out. Um, Bambi, when was the last time you saw it? Did you cry? Are you scarred by it? Did it make you like wildlife? Is there a lot of flim flam in Bambi? I've never seen Bambi. I really, I really wanted to watch it in preparation for this, and I just didn't get to. I'm yeah, so I also don't think I've seen Bambi either. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, we're like the worst servidologists. One hundred percent of servidologists name Rian. <laughs> Not seen Bambi. Bambi. I might have seen Bambi and just forgotten. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure we've all seen it, but it's just like I don't. I have no memory of this. But there is a thing called the the Bambi effect, mm. um, which is where like, yeah, your experience with something like Bambi as a movie that like really shows um, how cool these animals are and how adorable they are and that sort of thing. Um, like that can bleed over into how you perceive animals in are the real world uh, mm-hmm. and so you'd be like oh those animals are so cute we can't harm them and like what makes you want to protect them so i know about the bambi effect <laughs> but i don't know about bambi <laughs> p.s this bambi effect also apparently extends to humans not caring as much about the harm done to less cute animals and somewhere there's like a rat and a cockroach being like I- hello yeah anyway let's get back to myths is there any flim flam about deer that you would love to debunk? Don't touch a fawn if you see it. Don't touch that. Ooh. Um, okay. So, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so a uh, fawn being a uh, baby deer, like white-tailed deer or mule deer in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their strategy for surviving early on in life is to just, like, 
hide. So they are what are called hiders. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas like followers would like follow their mom and they're protected that way. Deer, like mule deer and white tailed deer just hide very well. They have spots. If you're looking through a forest, like in my job this summer and for the past handful of summers has been to look for these fawns and they are so hard to find. (laughs) They are sometimes impossible to find. Like sometimes we can't find them. So their, their job is to hide and it is to stay like, you know, tucked up under a bush. And then they go into this thing called alarm bradycardia. Uh, and it basically means just like when you're stressed out, you really stop breathing and have a lower heart rate Mm -hmm. so that they can avoid detection by predators. Also they have like no smells for their first, I don't know, handful of days of life. And then like over time they accumulate smells. They can't, poop on their own for, the, for a while like their mom has to like clean their butt so they are really really good at hiding oh man i love a good field story and here is one so much so that one time i was going in with some people to find a fawn and collar it and this is part of our work we have the necessary like approval and protocols in place um we weren't just like going out to yeah. try to harass wildlife but <laughs> anyway we were going out to like find this fawn and we knew it was there because we knew that mom was there and uh for some technological reasons we knew that it was going to be there um and so there were four of us in a line and three people literally walked over the fawn oh they God. thought it they thought it was a rock and the fourth person was like this fawn this one right here the one that we're looking for oh. so like they are so good at height that's a really long really long explanation to say like they are so good at hiding and their survival during their first few weeks of life depends on them being able to hide very very well oh. so they will hide mom will go away and eat do her mom stuff, and then she'll come back and check on them, nurse, whatever, and then she'll go away again. So if you find a fawn out in the forest, it is, like, almost certainly not abandoned. Oh. It's just it's just hiding and doing its job super, super well. And so you should just be like, oh, that's really cute, and then just keep going. Okay. Do they tend to have twins also? I heard yes. that they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which, again, is a good evolutionary strategy because they have really low survival early on in life. And so if you have two of them, then it's like, oh, well, hopefully one of them makes it. Um, and both white-tailed deer and mule deer do this. Um, but then other deer, like elk, uh, elk only have one, but also elk are huge. And their calves, which are their babies, are also massive. Like having two calves would be <laughs> too much. Yeah, no thanks. If you're a mule deer, you won't get pregnant during your first year of life. But uh, white-tailed deer can actually get pregnant really early on in life. They're super good at reproduction. And then mule deer will normally wait until they're two. Um, and then maybe that first time they'll have one fawn. But then after that, it's like two for the rest of their life. And sometimes they have three, but that happens super, super rarely. It's like 3% of birds are triplets. So Wow. So Rhiannon Curtin has a bone to pick and a myth to bust and a good story to tell. I would say it's not really flim flim, um, but <laughs> I think people have this perception of like, oh, well, they're not that fast. Cervids are fast. Like, don't get close to them. They will chase you. Just don't do it. I went to Glacier Park when I was working in Montana Mm -hmm. with my friend, and they recommend, like, you don't get within 100 meters of a moose because why would you do that? They can be six foot tall at the shoulder. (laughs) Like, they're humongous. Um, 
And all these people, these like two or three moose were in the lake. And all these people were like right on the edge of the water. And I was like, I'm just going to stand way back over here where I should be because I don't want to get up in that moose's face for it to come and get me. Moose are fast. And I think people just think like, oh, well, they're like in the water, so they're not going to get me. But like, just give animals their space, not just cervids, like just because they don't have sharp teeth and like claws. Hoofs hurt. Like, yeah, I've ridden horses for a long time. You do not want to get bashed with a hoof. Like, you just don't. Can we just hear Rhiannon Curtin say hoof again? Hoof. Okay, once more. It's so good. Hoof. Um, so or an antler. Far, far yeah. Away. And like elk in Yellowstone, every freaking year, someone gets chased or butted or something. And the same with bison. Like, just give them their space, man. Mm-hmm. They just, they don't want you up in their face. Leave them alone. <laughs> Don't do it for the gram. Don't do it for the TikTok. Oh my goodness. Instagram has just been such a disaster Mm. for wildlife encounters in that way. Yeah. (laughs) Please observe all signs. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can I ask y'all Patreon questions? Yeah. Is that okay? Oh my gosh. I'm so nervous, but yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like they're going to be really hot. No. Nothing to be nervous about. These are professional servidologists. They got this. So we will get to your Patreon questions next week. And let me tell you, they are bananas. I learned so much weird, sordid, wacky facts from them, as well as how not to hit a deer with your car, and a really, really interesting discussion on should you hunt? Should anyone hunt? Do they endorse hunting? So do not miss next week. It's really, really, really good when we ask smart Rhiannons all of our not very stupid questions because they are full of answers. Life is short. The world is beautiful. Nature is complicated. So get excited for next week. It's so good. Also get excited for Black Mammologist Week starting September 13th. Look out for an episode on September 14th with a guest that I have been emailing for three years hoping to get on the show and I finally did it. So that's going to be a good one, too. And this week, follow the Rhiannons on Twitter and Instagram. There are links to their pages in the show notes, and there's going to be more links up at aliward.com slash ology slash servidology. Also, blackmammologist.com has a full schedule of the week's events starting September 13th. And there's a link to the sponsored membership fund through the American Society of Mammologists, where we send a donation this week and for next. And you can follow Ologies on Twitter at Ologies and Instagram at Ologies. I'm at Ward with one L on both and definitely follow both accounts. So we love you. And I love how supportive they've been to the black AF and STEM community as well. So watch my Instagram for that giveaway. Also, if you want Ologies merch, it's at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch of the comedy podcast. You are that for managing merch. They are hilarious. Subscribe to their podcast. Thank you, Aaron Talbert, for being the best admin ever to the Ologies podcast Facebook group. Thank you to professional transcriber Emily White and the gaggle of very generous Ologites who get these free transcripts available for deaf and hard of hearing science lovers. Those transcripts are up at alleyward.com slash Ologies extras. There are are also bleeped episodes done by Caleb Patton in case you have kiddos or smallogites who want to listen. Also, congrats to Caleb and your brand new wife, Heather. Y'all got hitched this week, so love to you both. Um, happy birthday to Larry, Pete, 
Grand Pod Ward, just rounding home plate to a 76 year. Love you so much, Pops. I'm so sorry for swearing. Thank you to Noelle Dilworth, who helps schedule the ologists, and to Jared Sleeper of the mental health podcast, My Good Bad Brain, for helping me get this episode together, while our wonderful lead editor, Stephen Ray Morris, was taking a holiday in the woods, I think doing some cervid gazing himself. And thank you, Stephen, for the final touches in the upload. And be sure to catch Stephen's new series with paleo experts in a back-to-school season of his podcast, See Jurassic Right, and that launches on September 7th. And he also hosts the cat-themed podcast, The Purcast. And Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music. He's in a band called Islands. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, you know, I tell you a secret. And I want you to know that up until about 15 minutes ago, this was going to be one long, giant two-hour episode. And then I was like, what am I doing? There's two guests. We went for like two and a half hours. This is a two-episode. This is a two-parter. Duh. Also, I recorded all the asides, and then I realized that my mic gain was all the way down, so I had to re-record them anyway. But look at us. We're getting it up to you on a Tuesday, because we love you. Also, another secret is that currently there's like a ghost in my sewer system, and the bathtub is emanating some sort of olfactory poltergeist that is vengeful and smells like cabbage. But I have to fly to Houston for work early tomorrow morning, so Jarrett, I'm sorry, man. This one's on you. Thanks for dealing with it. I will bring you back some barbecue sauce or whatever Houston is known for. Okay. Next week, I'm telling you, your dear questions are nuts and the answers are even nuttier. So tune in next week. It's worth it. Okay. Merva. Pachydermatology. Homeology. Cryptozoology. Lithology. Nanotechnology. Meteorology. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.